As we turn to hear from God's word this morning, we seek to receive it with reverence and humility. The summons of the word found in your bulletin helps us do just that. Let's read it together. If you call out for insight, if you cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as for silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Thank you, Sherry. Let's go ahead and uh, turn to God's Word this morning. We're, we're walking through the book of Exodus this fall. We're in Exodus chapter 2. If you want to follow along in your pew Bible, it's on page 48, page 48 of your pew Bible. Last week we jumped in and we talked about a people of promise, in fact, a most unpromising people of promise, but a people not only of promise but of persecution. And we explored the, uh, the enslavement of God's people under the Pharaoh and the, uh, the harsh conditions that they faced. And yet we saw the, the, uh, the courage, the bravery of, of the two uh, Hebrew midwives. In fact, we're going to see more of the same this morning. So let's jump into chapter 2 of Exodus. I'll read now from God's word again. If you want to follow along in your pew Bible, that's on page 48. Uh, hear now the word of the Lord taken from Exodus chapter 2, verse 1. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, 
Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, What I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard this, he tried to, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flocks. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to Ruel, their father, he asked them, Why have you returned so early today? They answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And, and where is he? Ruel, Ruel asked his daughters, Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery, went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites, and was concerned about them. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Father, would you enable us to enter with all that we are into this story, with our minds, with our hearts, Father, with, uh, with our wills. Oh, Father, would we give ourselves to your word this morning. May it change us. May it conform us to the likeness of Christ. May it open our eyes to you and to the world around us and to our own hearts that we might live in a way that is pleasing to you in a way that is attractive to the world, a way that is compelling to outsiders. Father, would you give us a deeper allegiance to your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, <clears throat> the story so far has been uh, quite uh, epic, if you might say. In fact, Exodus is often referred to as an epic just because of how sweeping and how uh, catastrophic it is as it opens with the enslavement of a people group. And in chapter 2, we go even deeper. Chapter 1 has sort of a macro perspective with the aside of the two Hebrew midwives, whereas with chapter 2, we zoom in on a particular slave couple with a particular story, a story that is full of emotion. In fact, I would love for you to enter into that this morning to see the, the tragic beauty. In fact, you might even say the, the tragic, almost senselessness of all the injustice that's going on. And yet, in the midst of it, we see characters who are so compelling, who are so marvelous, who are so beautiful. And it reminds us that even in the hardest of times, 
God's people are capable of great things. And that God's people can find allies in the most unlikely of situations. So let's jump together. These next two, three, well, really four chapters revolve around the rise of really the key figure of the Pentateuch, and you could even argue the key figure of the Old Testament, and that's Moses. This, the, the story tells the birth and development of Moses, and so this morning, in fact, this, you can see in your, you can see in your bulletin, we're going to be talking about how God prepares and raises up a rescuer, not only in chapter 2, but in chapter 3 and, three and 4. In fact, chapters 3 and 4 constitute the single longest conversation that Yahweh has with any one person in all of the Old Testament. There's this extensive conversation that God has with Moses. But here, before we get there, we see the birth and development of Moses. And I think this is a beautiful way to ask a question, how does God raise up a rescuer? How is it that he chooses to develop and prepare a rescuer, a deliverer for his people? And I want to suggest, in really, in four ways. First, God raises up a rescuer through the fearlessness of, of three women. Well, who are they and how do they do it? Well, if we recall already that we have seen two fearless women late in chapter 1. We saw the two Hebrew midwives who defied the edict of the king, who refused to follow through on his agenda of death. And so already we've seen women who are courageous, who fear the Lord. First, in our, in our, in our chapter, in our, our text this morning, we see the first fearless woman is a peasant woman. Look in chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Now, a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. This is a, a most in, intriguing way to start a story, because if you know from the book of Genesis, Levi was anything but a great guy. Levi was a man of revenge, a man of violence. I mean, this is long before we think of the, the, the tribe of the Levites, of those who cared for the temple of the Lord. That God would choose a deliverer from the tribe of Levi is just somewhat strange, given all that's said about them back in Genesis 34. And then, in fact, if you just back up a few verses, or a few pages, I mean, to Genesis 49, you can see the words that, that, I, that Jacob gives to his sons. He blesses his sons. In fact, in verse, uh, you can look, it's on page uh, 46, you can see uh, what he says about, uh, about, about Levi and about his brother. <clears throat> I'm sorry, it's on page 45, it's on uh, chapter 49, verse 5. He says, Simeon and Levi are brothers, their swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter into their council, let me not join their assembly, for they have killed men in their anger and hamstrung oxen as they pleased. Cursed be their anger so fierce and their fury so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. Hardly a blessing, <laughs> right? So they come from a background that is altogether questionable. They come from a, a, a tribe that is associated in many ways with violence and with shame. And yet God decides that he will choose a deliverer from a, a questionable background. So again, verse 1 of chapter 2, back on page 48. Now a man from the, tri of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. Verse 2, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him 
for three months. Now understand, of course, the, 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 the chapter 2 is set up by chapter 1, so that in, back in verse 22, we, we see uh, the Pharaoh's further attempt to control the population of Israel. Verse 22, Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, Every Hebrew boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Now enter into the story a little bit. Imagine that you're a young Hebrew man or woman. You are part of an enslaved people group. You are property. Life is hell. But you decide to marry, to have some hope of relationship, some hope of, you know, connection, some small future. And then you become pregnant. Imagine just the, just the complete storm of emotions. What do you think's on her mind, on their minds? I hope it's not a, a boy. Imagine she's, the midwives come. It's a boy. The bitter sweetness, the fear that would just overcome her soul. The man trying to figure out what to do. How do I solve this? Right, guys? Want to solve it? <laughs> but fix it somehow. Just the, the seeming senselessness of the times. Why would God bring this upon us? Here we are in Egypt. Here we are in slavery. Here we are. We're just trying to have a family. We're just trying to survive. And now what do we do with this baby boy? Now, one of the things that the commentators are frustratingly elusive on is this in verse 2, which says that she became pregnant and gave birth to a son when she saw that he was a fine child. What does that mean? I'm not sure what it means. The Hebrew actually says, in fact, it's, 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 it's most likely an echo from Genesis 1. It literally says, uh, the Hebrew says, and when she saw the child, that he was good. Does that sound familiar? Those of you who know your, 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 your Genesis, she saw and it was good. Well, for Genesis 1, you have this repetition of God creating or commanding. And then he steps back and he says, the Lord saw and it was good. In fact, it's the first time since Genesis 1 that you have this, frame, this refrain, someone saw and it was good. And usually, and it's in reference, the first statement is in reference to light. That God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And so, the, so again, this is, I'm not sure of this. I'm not sure anyone really knows. But something that is some sort of illusion, a way of seeing Moses as a first light. Just as God brought light into darkness on that first day. Bringing a promise of life promise of a future, a promise of order, a promise of a new day. So also it seems that in some way this mother saw in Moses a new day dawning, a new light, a new hope. And she saw that he was a, literally a, a, a good child, a fine child, whatever, I'm not sure how we would translate that. It's the very common Hebrew word tov. She hid him for three months. Now imagine that. She decides, listen, I'm going to hold out somehow. I'm going to hide this child. 
Imagine the tension among the, between the husband and wife over how, how are we going to make this work. In fact, they may be endangering the entire family. In fact, if, as we read further on, we're going to learn that he has an older sister. This isn't the first child. In fact, not only that, he has an older brother. We're going to meet the older brother named Aaron. So, so it's very possible that by hiding this child, they are endangering the entire family. So she hides him for three months, but then verse 3, when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Now, notice the shrewdness here, but also mostly the courage and the fearlessness of this woman. She coated it with pitch, and then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. What's she thinking? What's going on in her mind? I don't know that I know. But she's trying to think of a way, but hey, if my child is destined for the Nile, rather than being thrown in, maybe I can, maybe I can do something that's going to somehow enable the child to survive. At least I know if I put it in this little basket, it's going to survive for a while. Maybe it'll have a chance. Who knows? Maybe something will happen to it. But there's a fearlessness here, a courage a woman who surrenders control of her child and gives it to the Nile and gives it ultimately to the control of the Lord. You know, it's so interesting. We could look at this woman and think, you know, what can she do? She's just a peasant woman. She's a nobody. She needs empowerment. She needs political power. She needs more money. She needs privilege. And yet, look at her. She's marvelous where she is. She is obeying the Lord. She's living a life of fearlessness. She's giving her child, surrendering control. Isn't that the hardest thing to do, moms? To surrender control of your child. So we see this woman fearlessly giving away her child. An act of desperation in some ways, but also an act of trust. Verse 4, we learn of a sister. His sister, that is the, the baby boy's sister, stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Imagine what's going through their minds. As they see this little one taken off, out of their control, wondering what is happening, the heart-wrenching sense of fear. Three months is just long enough to what? Really get an attachment. Really get a sense of how just wonderful this little one is. And suddenly, she's gone. Verse 5, we meet the second courageous, the second fearless woman. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it, and she saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Now, do you think that Pharaoh's daughter was unaware of the slavery of the Israelites? I think that's hard to imagine. Almost certainly she knew of her father's edict. She knew of the Israelite people. She'd probably seen them out the window. She'd seen them on TV. She'd seen them from a distance. They were statistics. They were worker bees. 
but now immediately face to face with this little tiny life. Confronted in proximity, a neighbor, an immediate little one in need. She's caught off guard. And there awakens within her a humanity, a concern, a care that catches her off guard. This is one of the Hebrew babies. And she imagines a mom placing that child in a basket, saying goodbye, and suddenly the Israelites go from being a mere statistic to souls, to humans. That this incredibly unexpected, unanticipated, unforeseen, maybe even unwanted interaction changes her life in a heartbeat. And she does something that is unbelievably courageous, courageous in just a second. But it's prefaced, listen, it's prefaced by something else. So by a third woman enters into the story. We have a peasant woman, we have a palace girl, and now we've got a peasant girl. And she's courageous by the mere speaking. I mean, you don't understand. This is a slave girl talking to the daughter of a god. Pharaoh was understood to be divine. The courage that it would have taken to speak up right at the right time with the right suggestion. There, She says exactly, she nails it. Verse 7. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? <laughs> wow. I mean, come on, you got it. That is impressive. I mean, I don't know if it was part of the plan. I mean, who, how could they have planned this out? They had no idea what was going to happen. And she just nails it. No political empowerment. No great education at Harvard. No, it's not like she had lots of money, not a great iPhone, lots of followers. A woman of courage, fearless and shrewd. Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? As if, hey, here you go. Do you want this child? And then in a moment, a decision is made by a palace girl. I mean, teenager? I don't know. I've heard two teenagers talking. I mean, it's probably the, 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 the Moses' sister, probably a tween, 12, 13, 14, talking to another teenager, palace daughter. And in that moment, the palace daughter, the daughter of the Pharaoh, commits treason. Listen, don't imagine just some sort of suburban mother, father-daughter relationship, okay, where the daughter just sort of does what she wants to, whatever. Okay, in that time, if you have a child, and your child, you're a king, and your child does something like this, defies you in that way, guess what you're going to do, probably? Right? Those of you, if you can remember from the, your Christmas stories, you know about uh, Herod the Great. Herod the Great had no problem killing a number of his sons because he suspected them of treason. There's a lot more at stake than just sort of bio, you know, family relations. It's about political power. If this young lady decides to question me, who else is going to start questioning me? If she defies me, who else is going to start defying me? In that moment, she makes a decision. Verse 8, yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Can you imagine what that would be like? This teenage girl, you're running, and you're 
tears right streaming down your face and you burst through the door. Mom, mom, you're not going to believe what happened. Come on, let's go, let's go. And you're trying to get the words out. And they show up, probably a blubbering mess. <laughs> here's, a, here's one of the Hebrew nurse, you know, wet nurses. <laughs> you wonder for how long it took the, you know, the, 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 the uh, Pharaoh's daughter to figure out this is actually the mom. <laughs> Right? <clears throat> Verse 9, Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. Isn't that amazing? And in the same day, she gives up her child, surrendering him to the Lord. And then just by divine just providence, I'm so unexpected, receives the child back to raise it. And to receive a reward, to receive compensation for raising her own child. But it's more complicated than that, isn't it? Isn't it? Okay, so it's, I'm going to raise this child, but is it really my child? What's its future? Is it going to be raised in the palace? Is it going to be brainwashed by the Egyptians? What's its future? You can imagine the, the turmoil in the mom's heart as she considers all that's going on, all that will happen to the child. Verse 10, when the child grew older, she took him, she, that's the mother, took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. Again, for a second time, a mother giving her child away, saying goodbye, realizing that he would have access to a world completely foreign, wondering if she would, if he would remember her. Pharaoh's daughter named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Again, it would be difficult to see a, an Egyptian woman naming your son claiming some sort of deliverance. Hey, I rescued this child. Your dad is the one who tried to murder my child. But she names him Moses, which means to draw out, to draw out, to, be, to draw out of the water. It's a, hard, a little bit hard to know exactly what to make of the name. It's an Egyptian name, Moses. Perhaps some of you have heard of pharaohs, uh, various pharaohs in, in ancient Egypt. They were called Moses. Uh, Moses simply means son of or son of. And, uh, of course, she uses the word Moshat, which is taken from a... It's an Egyptian name, but she uses the word, I drew him out, which is, comes from a, a, a Hebrew word, Moshah. So it's kind of interesting. Moses' identity has Egyptian and Hebrew influence there, which is uh, intriguing. So the first thing we see when God raises up a rescuer is we see that he uses three fearless women. But second... God raises up a rescuer, not only through the fearlessness of three women, but through the failings of the rescuer himself. And I'll try to cover this quite quickly here. How did Moses go, how does he go on to fail here? And how did, what, what, fails at what and how? Well, look in verse 11. One day after Moses had grown up, we don't know exactly the age, but uh, from later, later biblical stories, we're learning probably around 40 or so. So this is amazing, 40 years in the palace. Uh, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watch them at their hard labor. Now that word, own people, that phrase, own people, is important. He goes out, he knows who he is. 
Imagine living in, in, those, in, just, in sort of that divided identity. He goes out and he sees them, watches them their hard labor. He sees them. He watched them. He sees their situation. Just as Pharaoh's daughter saw the baby and had compassion, Moses sees them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, looking this way and that and seeing no one. Verse 12, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now, we see Moses here failing in some ways. Uh, in some ways, we see a man who is deeply concerned about justice. It's kind of interesting. And now, in, in these next three episodes, he learns a lot about addressing injustice. First, he learns that what? That injustice is not going to be addressed effectively through violence. You know, if you read some of the writings of the civil rights era, um, by Martin Luther King or guys like Rustin, uh, guys like Bob Moses, you, 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 there's this incredible discussion, really debate, I mean intense debate, about whether or not to use or to resort to violence. The idea is that, hey, our oppressors are so hard-hearted that you can't reason with them. You can't sort of, you know, sort of throw your weight around. You can't just sort of, you know, talk to them. You can't just sort of appeal to their conscience. They are so hard-hearted and unwilling to change that the only thing that's going to make a difference is what? Is some fists. To get rough with them. To wake them up. To sober them up. And so there's this question about, what, what, you know, because, because the idea was that they were so tired of the oppression, so tired of the racism, so tired of being treated like less than human, that at some point, you just, something's got to give, something's going to snap. They've got to get the point. They'll never, it'll never get through to them. And so we can understand why Moses might, might, might simply say, you know what, this is it. I've had enough. I can do this. I'm strong. I can take matters in my own hands. And, 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 and address injustice uh, through, through, through violence, through payback. But in the next story, we see here, in verse, uh, verse 13, the next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked, one of the, asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? Now here, uh, this, is, this is interesting, we go from external injustice, injustice from outside, to internal injustice. These are brothers, these are fellow Israelites fighting among another. And how does Moses seek to address the injustice here? Through an argument, through rationality. He appealed, why, why, why are you doing this? Not only is that, it's an appeal to, to identity. Hey, we are of the same people group. We're, the, we're brothers. We're, we're, we're fellow Hebrews. And guess what? It's the rationality, not only does violence not work, but rationality, a simple or human appeal to human reasoning doesn't work. Verse 14, the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? And Moses was afraid and thought, what must I have? What I did must have become known. This is a pretty humbling picture of the Israelites, isn't it? They're not exact. Just because they're oppressed doesn't mean that they're these wonderful people, right? Someone clearly, one of his own people, clearly ratted out Moses. And this guy here, he doesn't want to hear anything from Moses. God's people are hard-hearted, even as those who are slaves. And then finally here in this story, in the next story, so Moses flees, verse 15. When Moses heard of it, or sorry, when Pharaoh heard of this, he, tr- he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to the live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. 
Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they, became, they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their, their father's flocks. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up. And again, here's a third time that Moses intervenes. He addresses injustice. He gets up, and he came to their rescue and watered their flock. And what's the outcome? Here he actually effectively rescues. He addresses injustice. And what happens? Nothing. They just leave. <laughs> and I tell you what, this is such a profound lesson. So often when you want to help you, when you do help them, guess what? They don't care. They just move on with their lives. You can deliver people. You can rescue them. You can help them. Yeah. And they just do their own thing. These are invaluable lessons for Moses as he realizes if he's going to address any kind of injustice, it's, violence is not going to work. Appeal to reason is not going to work. And even when you're able to rescue them yourselves, they're not going to care. Vital lessons in trying to fight the battle against injustice. <clears throat> so uh, they, they leave, they go, um, um, their father says, what happened? Why didn't you invite him? Moses, verse 21, Moses agrees to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. And then, Moses, and then Zipporah has a, has a son. And Moses, this is very important, Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. The word ger means sojourner or foreigner. It means outsider. So Moses has gone from slave, child, to a son of Pharaoh's daughter, to an outcast, to a fugitive and an outsider. That God prepares his deliverer, not only through the fearlessness of women, through his own failings, but through himself becoming a foreigner, an outsider, a nobody. And let me conclude by just saying, grasping what is going on, how is God at work in all of this? Well, to be a deliverer, to walk into Pharaoh, to say, let my people go, it would probably be really helpful to understand the inner workings of the Egyptian palace, right? And Moses had that 40 years. He knew how the palace operated. He knew the ins and outs of all the intrigue. He knew he was able to walk in and speak. But more so than that, God is preparing him in this wilderness where he will stay for another 40 years. He will be a foreigner, a sojourner in the land of Midian as a shepherd surviving out in a desert. Do you think he'll need any skills to learn how to survive in a desert in the future? God was the whole time preparing him in ways that he couldn't begin to begin to see. That's how God makes ready his rescuers. Without him even knowing it, the fearlessness of three women, through his own failings, attempting to address in his own strength, in his own wisdom, the injustice of a time completely falling flat on his face. And finally, through being a foreigner. A foreigner. And of course, the, the chapter closes with these amazing words. Verse 23, I'll read these. And I just want you to see God's faithfulness that God is preparing this rescuer because that he is faithful and he feels, he sympathizes with his people. Verse 23, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out in their cry for help. 
because of their slavery, went up to God. God heard their groaning. And he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. And that sets the stage for one of the most incredible conversations between God and man that has ever been known. Let's pray together.